Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. started before we even dig in I'm pray for the sermon just for our hearts but also just to, to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe and Afghanistan obviously there's a lot of political stuff there and I'm not like so much worried about that right now as I am that Christians are being hunted down and uh, we shouldn't just like turn a blind eye to that so let's pray God we just we come to you Lord we pray that first you just you open our hearts to hear from you to that we do not reject you as king um, God, that you'll speak through me now to your people, that you will um, just be here in our presence as you already have been. And God, we lift up all that's going on across the world to you. God, you are sovereign, you're in control. This has not caught you by surprise, but yet, God, we pray for these faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are staring down in the face of death, and they're not, they're not wavering from their faith. God, they're staying true to, to you. Um, so God, I pray for their protection. I pray for um, just their courage to, to not denounce their faith in you. And God, I, just, I pray that, Lord, that whatever takes place, it brings you great glory. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Corey updated us on everything going on in 1 Samuel and then just read to you, none of this should really surprise us. Like, it's a complete mess in Israel, and it really has been ever since we started back in Joshua. Like, everything looked good in the beginning because Joshua was going to take control of Israel, and they're going to go in, and they're going to get the promised land, they're going to do what they will do. But this cycle of commitment, complacency, and compromise has just been on and on and on. It never ends. That's just what we have seen through this whole sermon series since we started it back in January. They'll be committed for a season. They'll get kind of laxed and complacent, and then they're just full-on compromise and disobedient and in sin. And so this is really just back to what they do, but yet this seems a little different this time. They're not just disobedient. They're not just going and doing something different, but they're calling out for a king, someone who's going to rule over them, someone who's going to judge them, someone who's going to protect them, all the things that God had already said that he would do, and he would do perfectly, but yet they want to be like the other nations. And what's odd is this is just a foreshadowing of the people at Jesus's own trial, crying out that they have no other king but Caesar. They're just crying out the same thing. They want to be like the rest of the nations, and so they're crying out for a king. But as I dug into this, this really wasn't wrong that they had requested a king. It was their motives that behind it that was the problem. See, because before they ever got into the promised land, God had promised Israel a king. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. I want you to hear this because it matters that they know this and that they're requesting king. So this is what it says. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, so the promised land, they're there now, and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you, 
over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And, you shall not acquire, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his, of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So see, they're requesting what God had already told them, but the reality is if you've read through the Old Testament, you'll know that there's not one king who perfectly did that. Not one king. Every king that came, they acquired silver for themselves in excess. They, they sent people to war, just like this war, like it was telling them not to do. They had excessive wives and concubines. No king fulfilled this. Why? Because every king was just a prototype pointing to the ultimate king, the king, Jesus Christ, who would fulfill all that. So here with Israel, it's not that they're requesting something that they weren't told they were going to get. They were told they were going to get a king. God had promised them that before they ever got into the promised land, but it's their motives behind it. It's their motives behind it. Things have been a mess, obviously. The Ark of the Covenant's been stolen, and now they've got it back in chapter eight, but just as Corey told us, like things were going bad. They, for the Ark of the Covenant to get it stolen, they have completely defeated. And so now they've, they're looking to God as a safety net, and when God did, wasn't giving them the safety net that they expected, well, now let's, let's cry out for a king. Let's, let's get a king who will come in and do what we want him to do. And so they already laid out what they expect of a king. They're gonna, he's going to judge us. He's going to go out before us. He's going to fight our battles. See, you could control a king because if you throw a big enough fit, if you come in and you just throw like a coup and you take over, you can, you can get a new king. You can't control God. You don't get to flex on God. It doesn't work that way. Like He's going to do what he's going to do because he's God, and he's, he's sovereign. And so Israel knew that. They wanted a king that they could control. And we do the same thing. We want to have the sense of control over God, and we only want to go to him as a safety net, as that last barrier before everything falls apart, and that's not how this works. So we're going to dig deeper into the motives in the heart of Israel and why they even wanted to get this king that they're asking for. And so the first thing we're gonna see is this, is they had a lack of satisfaction in God. They had a lack of satisfaction in God. Towards the end of chapter eight and verse 20, it says this, it says, that we may also be like all the nations. That, that just stuck out to me because the, Israel, the Israelites are stating that they wanted benefits of an earthly king so that they could look like everyone else. They wanted to look just like everyone else. They had this lack of satisfaction in God, and they thought, if we can just look like the rest of the nations, then we're not going to be defeated. We're going to be protected. We're going to be okay, because it says in verse 20 there, it keeps going on, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. That's everything God had already promised them. I mean, literally, he told Joshua, just be obedient and everything's going to be okay. So they were dissatisfied, though, with their loss of battles and perceived lack of security. Their perceived lack of security became because of their disobedience. God was going to, and he showed them this from the very early on, if you're disobedient, this is not going to go well for you. What was the dude's name that stole, stole the gold or the, the things? I think it's Achan. 
first battle against AI that they lose. Why? Because they were disobedient. That was back in Joshua. And so they're their lack of satisfaction in God. They believed this other king would bring them the satisfaction they were looking for, security and victory and just a place of like honor and a sense among the nations. Like, look at Israel. They're just like us. They've got a powerful king who rules over them. But God promised Joshua that's not the way it would be. He said every place, in Joshua 1, verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. They had it. They had all that they were looking for. And in the king, God, the real king, the king of all the universe, and they did not want that. They had forgotten it, and they stopped finding satisfaction in God because they had turned so far from his ways. And hence the whole sermon series, Lest We Turn. They had turned from God, and so they found no satisfaction in him anymore. And that would be just like us. Like, if you're not looking to God, if there's nothing in your life that you're looking to God, you're not looking to scripture, you're not looking to Christian community, you're not looking to serving him, you're, everything you do is about you to build you up, you're not gonna find satisfaction in God. Corey says it so often. He says, you're gonna either find Jesus beautiful or you're gonna find him useful. If you don't find him beautiful, he's gonna stop being useful to you. He's just gonna, you're not gonna find any satisfaction in him because you're just looking for what's gonna fulfill you and what's gonna make you feel good about yourself and the problem is, if you depend on anything other than God for security, safety, happiness, joy, it's became master over you. It will completely rule over you. It will do everything that God warned them will happen. He's warning them. Like, if this happens, if you get a king, he's going to take your people. He's going to take your crops. He's going to take a tenth of all your stuff, your donkeys, the whole bit. It's all gone. And you think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. It does. If you turn to something else that you think is going to make you happy and give you satisfaction and give you safety and fulfill you, eventually that thing will start to rob you of everything else in your life. You may say, well, that won't happen. It could. It could ruin your marriage. You might be so hooked on something else that you've now lost focus of your wife, your kids, your husband, obviously, depending on your gender, and just going on like, and you're just, you've lost focus because you've put everything into something else. So the problem with that is, is when we don't get what we want and the king doesn't fulfill like the king is going to do, because we're going to get in that. We're going to get into Saul and, and David, and we're going to see what happens. But the problem is, is when we have these kings over us, and for us, when we put something else and it's our king, when it doesn't fulfill us, we would literally become a slave to it. Because like, let's just say for you, it's a relationship. You have to be in a relationship or your life is just incomplete. Like you feel an absolute wreck. And there's people like that, you know that. And you might be married and it's still that way. That you know like this marriage is everything that fulfills me and keeps me going. If this marriage was to fall apart, I'm going to be a mess. Well, what happens? You start to feel miserable and lost in that relationship. You start to feel miserable because you know like if this thing falls apart, if I don't hold it together, if I don't keep everything going, then I'm not gonna have anything left because all of my joy, all of my status and identity of who I am depends on this relationship. But what if it's success? What if being successful at your job is what drives you and that's where you find security, that's where you find comfort? Well then, what happens is that success has enslaved you. You overwork yourself. You're jealous and resent anyone else who would ever get a promotion or do well at their job because you think that you should be doing better in your job. And yet that job has now enslaved you. It's became not your king, but really your master. You are a slave to it. I think in my own life where I, I seek satisfaction outside of God, 
And it's really, like, there's been times, and it's, it's changed over times. And I, I remember for a while, as my wife and I, we battled infertility. Having kids definitely trumped me finding satisfaction in God. Like, I look to, like, if I could just have kids, my life will be fine, and I'll be satisfied, and everything's going to be great. Well, I can tell you, like, my kids have not brought me satisfaction in that sense and gave me security. They have drained my pocket and uh, drive me crazy. No, I'm joking. I love them. But I didn't find completeness, and I didn't find the joy I'm to find in the Lord in them. But then as a pastor, I've turned to success of numbers instead of obedience to God at times. And I look at that, I'm thinking, man, like this will make me feel satisfied in my ministry and what I'm doing, and it'll give me status, and people will respect me. And ultimately, that is not where it's found. See, God is glorified when we are satisfied in him. John Piper, for those of you who know John Piper, he's a famous pastor, author, theologian, very smart man, way smarter than me. He says this, he's very known for this quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Think about that. I like really dwelled on that quote in light of this text today because it connects so well to how Israel is really operating and how we operate because when we're satisfied in God and all of our life is pointing to him, he really is glorified because like, the nations see that. They're just blown away by it. They're like, there's something different about that nation. There's something different about that person. There's something different about that church because they're so satisfied in God, and, and he's getting all the glory for it. If you're truly, fully satisfied in him, you're not getting the glory. He is. But the problem goes is that when we, like Israel, reject the Lord as king, what we're ultimately doing is saying, we don't care if you get the glory, and then we reject his mission. Because if God is not your king, then his mission is not your mission. Hear me with that. If God is not your king, then his mission is not your mission. Your mission is to glorify you. It's to be happy, not joy. There's a difference. It's about making yourself feel good in who you are and what you're doing. And that is exactly what Israel had decided over and over again. Israel argues that they want this king so they could be like other nations. But there's a problem with this. The big one is that God's people were to be on, na to be on mission for the nations, like God's people, the chosen people of Israel were to be a light to all the other nations around them. And they're like, nope, we don't want this. So by rejecting a king, they're in verse seven, when they say, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and give them all that they want. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Because they're rejecting him. They're rejecting him and what, what he's called them to do. They're saying, we don't care if you get the glory, God. We don't care if you get the glory. We don't care if, if people recognize you for the, the, for the sovereign king that you are. We want to do our thing. We want the glory. And so if you want to look like the world, then why would the world be attracted to us? See, like really, like we should be attractive to the world as God's chosen people. The world should look at us and think, there's something different. I wanna know what that is. I wanna find out more about that, and I wanna, I wanna be part of it. I mean, that's what Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. It should be on the screens. It says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death and to other fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? 
We are an attractive fragrance to the world, guys. Like, that's who we get to be. The world gets to see us and be like, man, there's that, that's some, I, it smells good, right? Like, I want to I be part of that. And Israel's saying, we don't want that mission anymore. We don't want to be a light to the rest of the nations. We just want to look like everyone else. And the problem is, is that we've done the same thing in American church. Like, I'm not even looking at America. I'm just looking at American church. We've, we've said so many times, we want to be like the rest of the world. We want to look like the rest of American culture. Instead of finding a pastor who can, who can just lead us towards holiness and righteousness and towards the mission of God, we want to find a CEO who's charismatic and talks well and can look good on stage, and that's going to attract people. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's not who we're supposed to be looking for. We're supposed to be looking for someone who's pursuing holiness and pursuing God and pointing us to Jesus. But so quickly, we'll turn to, well, we need someone who looks like this because that's what's going to get people in the seats. Well, people might not come in the seats, but we need to pursue God. What I can't understand for the life of me, and, and, and I say this with understanding, like, we all have sin, and, and I have sin in my own life, and we all do, but what I can't understand are Christians, and I say Christians loosely in this, who don't act like biblical Christians. Because what happens is they're absolutely, honestly, repulsive to the rest of the world, I know that sounds harsh, but I want you to think about that. When, when you claim to be a Christian and then nothing in your life reflects that, you can't be the aroma of Christ. So if you're not the aroma of Christ, then you're another kind of aroma. And it's not good. Like, it's not good, right? Like, just, I could go into detail. We're not, though. Like, so when we reject God as our king... So we can look like the rest of the world. What we're saying by default then is a few things. One, we don't care if God is glorified through the nations. When you reject him as king of your life or even in areas of your life, you're saying, I don't care if God is glorified through the nations. Next, you're saying we're more concerned with fitting in the world than the fact that people in the world are dying going to hell. You are more worried about if you are accepted by the world, looking like the rest of the world, than the fact that they're all dying and going to hell, which should not be. Like, that should break our hearts that people are going to perish and spend eternity separated from the one true king. But then lastly, we're saying by default when we reject God as our king is we value our own will, our own mission over God's will and his mission what we think is important to accomplish, what we think we should be doing is more important than what God has already called us to do. That's what we're saying, is that we want to do that. And so why do we say we're Christians, but yet we absolutely refuse almost to live on mission? We're like, well, I'm not gonna live on mission. I don't, I don't evangelize because the people are gonna tell me that they don't want it and then I feel rejected. Did you hear what God told Samuel? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They've already done this. So like you're no different than Samuel. If you are living on mission because you're worried about God being glorified, they can only reject him. They're not rejecting you because you're not, you're not better than a prophet of God. So why then aren't we living on mission so we can be a light? I think it's because obviously we want to find our own king. We want to have our control. We want to do things our way. The reality though is when we reject king, God as king, we not only reject his mission, but we're also rejecting our identity. When we reject God as king, we are rejecting our identity found in him. See, God had a plan for, for man when he created us. 
He did not just create man and then that was going to be it. He created Adam and Eve and he, he sent them into the garden. That's where he put them and he was going to walk with them and he was going to be their God and, he, and they were going to be his people. And that's what we see all through scripture, like Leviticus 26. says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not, aber- I cannot say that word, abhor you. And I will walk among you and, you will, and I and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. We're supposed to be his people. And so when we say we want a different king, we're saying, I don't want the identity you've given me. I want to find my own identity based on all these other things, but not in you. And so we were supposed to be his people and we're supposed to pursue holiness. Like that's who we're supposed to be. We're, God, all through the scripture tells us, be holy because your father in heaven is holy. Pursue holiness because God is holy. Now, none of us are gonna reach perfection. That's, that should be a no-brainer for anyone in this room. You should know that. If you're watching online, I'll just let you know you'll never be sinless as long as you're on this earth. But we should be pursuing holiness. Why? Because we are set apart by God and our identity is found in him. It's not found in anything that we do. And so when we want to be God's people, we pursue holiness. And when we hear holiness, I think automatically our minds go to this idea of being morally pure, which it should, like that should be. But God is morally pure. He's without sin. And so if we're gonna be like our Father in heaven, then obviously we pursue that. But also being holy means being distinct, means being different. And so when our identity is found in Christ, we look distinctly different than the rest of the world. But when we cry out, give us a different king like Israel, We're saying, we don't want to look like God. We want to look like the rest of the world. That's exactly what they said. Give us a king so we can look like the other nations. And so they were rejecting the identity that they had in God. They were just completely turning away from that. And we do essentially the same thing when our identity is found in Christ, but we reject him as king. We're rejecting our identity found in him. So let me dig in this a little bit deeper because it's not just that we reject God in all of life. We sometimes just reject him in parts of our life. Because if you reject Jesus as king entirely, guess what? You're not a Christian. If you rejected him in every area of your life, in everything you can think of, like if you just categorize your life, put it in different buckets, if you've rejected God and king and he rules in none of those, I would just go ahead and call it you're not a Christian. Like, or you're in a really dark place. Like you're, you're in a bad place. But one, it's one of those two things, okay? But if you've just rejected God in some areas of your life, what you're saying is, I want my identity of this to look more like the rest of the world. I don't care if it looks Christian. I want it to look like more of the world. And each of us have those areas in our life where we desire to look like the world more than we do Jesus. We all have it. Like for me, a lot of times it's probably vanity. Like, it's just vanity. Like, sometimes the reason I will sink hours into working out is because I want to be bigger than Corey. Like, that's it. <laughs> he made fun of me last week about the size of my biceps. And so, like, I, I do. Like, sometimes it drives me. Like, can't let Corey catch up. I got I to gotta work out more. But there is, in all honesty, there are times, like, there's just vanity in me thinking, well, I'm going to do this. And I'll spend hours in my garage working out. But yet, I didn't spend hours in God's word. Because why? Because that area of my life, I was more worried about looking like the world and getting approval from the world than I was getting approval from God. Like, that, that's messed up. And so when we start to pick these different areas of Christians, like, well, God can rule my finances, but he's not ruling my marriage. God can rule my parenting, 
but he's not going to rule my time because I really value my time. And if I give my time over to him, that means like I, probably, I need to be at church, I need to serve at church, I need to be pursuing my neighbors, being community, and that takes up too much of my time, and I, I like my time. But guess what? We have an identity, We're not just Israel, but us. This is what Peter writes of us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, not our possession, God's possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's who we're supposed to be, his people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Like he has called us out of darkness, out of death, in the life, and our identity should be found completely in him. We should be holy, distinct, different. And when we say, God, you're not king of this area of my life, you're saying, God, I'm going to find my identity in everything else but you. And it's not okay. Church, we should care more about our identity than anything because that's who we are. We're found in Christ. And so for us as a church, one of the things that we've done is like we've set what means success as Heights community. So we have this thing, and if you've ever been through um, like some of our covenant member stuff or newcomers lunch, you've maybe seen this. It's a vision frame, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but to, to determine success for us, there's a measure. And what we, it's a mouthful, okay? It's this. It's that if you walked with us for a year, let's say, that you would be a story-formed family of hospitable missional strategists. I told you it's a mouthful. It's a lot to say. I'm gonna break it down and explain it to you. See, our hope is, is that because of the gospel and you hearing the gospel preached, sitting in gospel community, the missional communities, that, this, that the gospel, the story of God has formed who you are. Again, your identity is found in him, not in anything else, not as a member of Heights, not as, a, not as American or whatever. Like Your identity is found in Christ first and foremost. So that's the story foreign part. Then we want you to feel like family. Our mission statement is connecting people to the family of God. We want you to feel like this is just as important as your biological family, that we love and care for one another just as if we were blood because there's a greater blood that bought us. It's Jesus's blood, okay? And so then we want you to be hospitable. When's the last time you had someone at your kitchen table? When's the last time you hung out with someone in your backyard? When's the last time you invited someone over, whether it's someone in this room or your neighbor? because you're living on mission and you're strategically doing that. That's who we want you to be. That's the identity that we feel that when we go to scripture, we see as what a Christian should look like who's living for Christ. And so I'm gonna tell you now, if you have a bunch of other kings in your life that's not Jesus, it's really hard to look like that. It's really hard because your time, your money, everything about you just, it doesn't fit. And so that's our hope, is that your identity looks like that. And you won't be those things if you're rejecting Jesus as king because essentially you're rejecting your identity and you're rejecting your sanctification. When you reject Jesus in any area of your life, you're rejecting him to sanctify you in that area. You're saying, nope, you don't get to touch that. I'm gonna stay looking like the dead person you found months ago or years ago, however long you've been saved. You're saying, I'm rejecting you to sanctify me in that spot. I'm staying king of this spot. So church, we're called to be different. We're chosen by God and to be his people. And so we all have to choose a king. 
In every, in every area of your life, you're declaring either that Jesus is king or you want to be king. And that Israel had already made their decision. They're saying, God, you're not going to be king anymore. I'm gonna, we're going to be king. We're going to find someone. They're going to they're find Saul. And it's not going to go well. You're gonna, we're going to get into it in the next few weeks. It's not going to go well for them. Even David, king after God's own heart, still not always going to go well for them. It doesn't matter how much that person looks like they're going to be good. Like We need to all choose a king. And like I said, we're all guilty of it at times, including myself, to find a different king other than Jesus. We, just like Israel, will think that God has let us down and we'll think, well, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do this my own way. And he's a good king, though. You think about this, in their disobedience, he gave them manna and their unbelief, and he, while they served other nations and idols, he still gave them uh, success. When they were afflicted and beaten down and they repented, he forgave them and came to their aid. He's done all that same stuff for us. While we're rejecting him, while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. This is what... Uh, Tim Keller says of Jesus as king. Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. Hear that. He's the only king who will fulfill you completely, and if you fail him, he'll forgive you eternally. Because every other king says, fail me, and I'll make you miserable. Don't do what I said, and, and this is gonna happen. And he says, you're gonna fail me still, and I love you so much that I'm going to give you my inheritance so you can be co-heirs with me in eternity. That's the king we get to surrender to. And so we're getting ready to take communion. And we're, I want you to think, as we do this, as we take communion, we're proclaiming that Jesus is king. He's king who conquered death and sin. He gave his body for us. His blood shed for us. And then as a part of our response, too, you, a lot of you give online, but if you don't give online, you can give in the boxes that are up here. And when you're saying, I'm going to give towards the mission of God, you're saying that God is the king of your finances. It is a way of declaring that he is king. And some of you here, you've rejected him as king over your whole life. And so what you can do now is you can repent, whether sitting here or online, you can repent and say, Jesus, I want to make you king of my life. I don't need to look like the rest of the nations. I need to look like you. And so let me pray, and then let's respond to God's gospel. Lord, we're all guilty, whether of rejecting you as king completely or rejecting you just in the areas of our life. God, I pray that you will convict us of that, that you will drive us to seeing how great you are and that you will completely satisfy us, that we don't need to search for kings or worldly things. We don't want to look like the rest of the world. God, I pray that you'll help us to, to weed that out. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here or watching online that doesn't know you, they've rejected you, King. Lord, I pray that you will convict them, that you will save them, that you'll bring them into the family of God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what it says about taking communion, 1 Corinthians 11. We read this every week. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's respond.